We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This episode of Seahawks Man to Man is presented by OfficialK9.com, the official store of Kenneth Walker III. His store combines the power of Web 2 and Web 3 to allow for fans to purchase new merch drops, digital collectibles, and enter exclusive giveaways. Make sure and peep OfficialK9.com to see all the newest merchandise from Kenneth Walker III and use code Seahawks for 10% off at checkout. Again, use code Seahawks on OfficialK9.com for 10% off Kenneth Walker III's official gear at checkout. Check out the podcast description for more details. Welcome to the Seahawks Man-to-Man Podcast, powered by The Athletic. Shout out to the company. My name is Michael Sean Dugar. You can follow me on the tweet machine at Mike Dugar. That is M-I-K-E-D-U-G-A-R. And yes, I'm verified on there. Shout out to Elon Musk uh, as well for not taking my blue check away. Uh, Shout out to all of our YouTube subscribers as well. The Seahawks Man, the number two man on YouTube. That is the name of the channel. We appreciate you. Yes. We're going to get the guest thing uh, going. This is off-season guest time. Don't worry about it. Uh, Chris, talk to the people. What is good, everybody? It's your boy, Christopher Kidd. Be sure to follow me on Twitter at CKIDD206, and that's CKID206. All right, we're coming to you on Tuesday afternoon, uh, roughly about 24 hours-ish after Geno Smith has secured the bag. Uh, He has signed an extension um, with the Seahawks or a new deal extension, you know, doesn't really matter. Uh, portedly, uh, three years and 105 million is a total worth uh, of the deal. Got to be specific with those numbers. As I was told yesterday, um, he, uh, he can make, I think $52 million over the first calendar year. Uh, Mike girl full of NFL network reporting that, uh, it got 40 mil, uh, guaranteed, 28 million in the first year. Um, and really the base value of the deal is like a three year, 75 million. So from a math people back home, that is a 25 mil a year. And then another 30 mil in incentives, which is a lot. That's a lot of numbers to start the podcast, uh, Chris. But I do think, I don't know if we've talked about this on a pod before, Gino's deal and most deals are like this too. It's definitely, you definitely got to be weary of, um, how it's initially reported. I was taught that lesson uh, a little bit ago. You always want to know the guarantees. You always want to know the signing bonus. 
um, and, and things like that. Cause you'll, you'll get a number thrown out there. I'm trying to think what was the most egregious example recently. I want to say, I want to say like, you know, Derek Carr is actually a really good example. It's like, what is it like four years, 150 million, but I think he's got like a $50 million uh, base salary or some shit like that in the final year of the deal. So really it's like a three year, a hundred million dollar deal. Now three years, a hundred million is great, but that's different than four years and 150. Right. I think Tyree kills deals like that as well. Maybe we did. Do we talk about this when, when DK was about to get paid? I feel like this sounds a little familiar now. We might have. Yeah. Cause I think the some of the receiver deals last year were like that as well. Like Tyree kills deal is not really 30 million a year. I think that last year is really fluffy. Um, same thing with Devontae Adams deal. His is like four or five years and like a buck, something crazy, but really for the Raiders, it's like a three year 70 ish, something like that, which is why DK's deal is like a three year 70 ish. And I believe Terry McLaurin's deal is like a three year 70 ish as well. And even AJ Brown's deal, I think is very similar that like in terms of practical money that she's actually going to likely see, uh, it's like a three year 70 ish. So all those come up, but none of those all were reported the same. You know, I think AJ's deal was reported as like four years, 100 mil, something like that. So all that stuff is good to know um, because what, what happens is you get agents and stuff who will throw, throw some numbers out there like, yo, I just got my client five years, half a billion. And then you and then you get the uh, then the contract gets submitted to the league and gets put on, uh, you know, the NFLPA site and it's approved and. And then it gets to like overthecap.com and spot track, spot track, however you say it. And you're looking like, hey, man, this is a one-year deal. Um, so that, that's important to note. Um, but first, Chris, before we get into the X's and O's of it, we got to give a, a, a mini round of applause to Geno Smith there. Yeah, man. Good, good Well for deserved. Gino. Yeah, man. Good for, good, good for Geno. You know, I don't. What was he on? He was on a he was on a a contract for four years on his rookie deal. I want to say, which is standard rookie deal. And then after that, I'm pretty sure he just signed one year deals for like, what was that like four or five years in a row? Now it wasn't a one year deals for like minimum wage, um, but in the NFL it essentially was. Man, he wasn't making no bread by NFL standards um, for quite a while, and then just got his opportunity and just ate. Man, just eight went from making three and a half million, well, really seven million, uh, in twenty twenty two to signing. Even if he doesn't see all of it, signing a hundred million dollar deal. I don't give a damn what else is in there. Just signing a hundred million dollar contract just has to feel has to feel good, particularly for how confident Gino has been in himself. You know, I mentioned some of this in the story that I wrote. Uh, last night, or I guess it came out Tuesday. I don't even know when it came out, maybe Monday night. But the, I mentioned some of the ways that Gino's been so confident in himself. You know, I think it was 2014, he called himself a Pro Bowl caliber player or said that he's shown flashes of being a Pro Bowl caliber player. And he got laughed at. You know, I think Rex Ryan had to apologize for that comment, which looking back is pretty crazy. Um, you know, when there were. Uh, 10 black starting quarterbacks week one of the 2020 season, which I believe was a record at the time. It might still be a record for black starting quarterbacks. Gino quote tweeted, I believe it was ESPN's tweet with that stat and said it should be 11 guys. You know, like he saw himself as a starter. You know, Chris, you you're a, you played Madden. Did you see last year when the rankings came out? Yeah. And Gino said, uh, he, he quote, I forget if he quote tweeted it or just tweeted it. But he was like, he was like, oh, yeah, he was quote tweeting someone because he was like, man, OG, they got me. 
They got me ranked behind dudes who ain't even thrown a pass in the league before. Uh, I don't remember who he was behind, maybe Kenny Pickett or Malik Willis or somebody. I don't, I don't know the specifics, but he just he's been trying to tell us, like, yo, I'm like that. And he's believed he's like that when nobody believed he was like that. Now he's got $100 million, uh, at least contractually. Who knows how much he actually sees. But, you know, Chris, good good for Geno, man. Yeah, definitely well earned for Geno. Back to no one saw it. Hell, we were at training camp criticizing, like, hey, these passes are against air, and these dudes ain't completing it now. And that was worrisome. And then as the season progressed, preseason, Geno's not even throwing it deep. He's checked down. He's Mr. Checkdown. And then week one comes, not a bad game, and it just continued to get better and better. You can argue that he didn't – when you can't argue, it's on tape. He didn't have the best second half of the season that you would want. But ultimately, he put this team in position to make the postseason, which they did, and that's all you could ask for. A lot of people weren't think, were thinking this team wouldn't even make the playoffs. Obviously, expectations changed when we saw what Gino was capable of doing and how well he threw the football, his connection with Tyler Lockett, who was always in the end zone. It, it mirrored Russell Wilson and what Ty Lockett had done in previous years, but then Gino Smith took the torch and was able to do that. He had his flashes with DK Metcalf, although DK had some drops that would have helped Gino. Ultimately, Gino deserved the opportunity to come back to Seattle, get paid in doing so, and the Seahawks believed in him, and they were willing to pay him, and they see an opportunity to win a Super Bowl. You quote tweeted a comment he had today on a radio station talking about could this team win a Super Bowl with Geno Smith and Pete Carroll with his excitement? Heck yes, absolutely. Definitely can win a Super Bowl with Geno, but now they have to build the pieces around Geno to do so. Of course, Geno's going to have to improve in certain areas, late game situations. He's going to have to deliver touchdowns, get that into his repertoire more consistently, but for right now, this is a win for Geno Smith, making a lot of bread, playing the game he loves, and this is someone that worked their ass off to get to this point. What was it? Maybe 20 – I think you wrote in your story, Mike. What year was it when the 11 black quarterbacks were starters in the league? I think it was it was 10 in 2020. Start okay. Yeah. And Geno was – or 10 starting black quarterbacks, and Geno felt he should have been the 11th, which is yeah. – I respect the confidence. You got Russell Wilson, who's Hall of Famer, balling out at this point. I'm not mad at Gino for feeling some type of way, but watching what Gino did this season, I can't be mad at Gino for feeling that way, especially when it's all on film. We we saw what he's capable of doing, and he did it week in and week out for the most part. Again, kudos to Gino for sure. Yeah, I think I think Gino. Um, I, I think it. I think by the time this podcast comes out, it'll be exactly a year since we found out that they traded. Russell Wilson, at least agreed to trade him. I think the deal didn't become official until March 16th. Um, but I think March 8th is probably when it, I think Schefter is who broke that last year. And I, I bring that up because I've been a proponent of teams should really only think like, obviously you sign people to longer deals. You sign people to three-year deals and four-year deals. And when you draft someone on a rookie contract, they, they have four years. But I think just practically teams should mostly view themselves within like a two-ish year window. Like, if you're looking at something like, yo, by year one, we do this. By year two, we do this. By year three, we win the Super Bowls. Like, I feel like so many things can change in that window. Guy blows his knee out. Your sixth-round draft pick becomes, like, Hall of Fame caliber or something like that. You just never really know. Guy gets hurt. You, you know, there's just so many variables, particularly if you're building around a defense. Defense is hard to sustain year to year in terms of, like, super high efficiency. There's just so many things. Like, I think two-year windows 
are like the way to look at it. And the Geno deal is such a great example. It's like if by like think about it, Chris, when they traded Russ, they probably were not not probably. I know they were not anticipating a year later giving Geno a hundred million dollars. I know they weren't. I guarantee you they weren't. Right? But things changed. They were able to adapt. Um, and I feel like you have to teams have to have that type of flexibility. Now, granted, they planned on winning a you know trying to win a Super Bowl after they traded Russ. Like they didn't plan on taking a step back. Um, but Geno on their books for this amount of money was not in there. You know, like uh, maybe a Jordan Brooks extension was probably like on the in the thought process around this time next year. You know, assuming he was healthy and who who else who, who knows what could what could have come up right? They could have been planning on trading for a corner or paying a corner. Uh, around this time, but instead, like, whoa, this guy we took in the fifth round has got all pro votes. So, what do you know? Th- my point is, there's just so much can change. Um, so, teams got, I think teams shouldn't look so broad. Um, and you get some people arguing for that, like, yo, by 2025, we compete or whatever. Like, nah, you should look at it one, you should be one or two years away at, at most, uh, as you, as you are building a team, even if you're coming from like, like the Texans right now, where they're starting pretty much from scratch. I think that they should be looking at like, yo, we build this thing around. We build this thing the right way with all the money we have and all the capital we have in the draft. We should by 20, by the 2020 end of the 2024 season, we should be there. And that's not unreasonable uh, to, to think, you know, you look at what the Jaguars and the giants were able to do in their first years with their coaches, same thing with the Vikings. Uh, You can, you can make, you can make big leaps, but I do, I want to go to what Pete said about winning a Super Bowl with Geno. Because Chris, I've been workshopping this idea, and this is my first time saying it out loud or to another person. I t- I tweeted a, a a version of it, but I'm, I'm workshopping this theory because it's something I believed, and now I've like been able to put it in like word form. So, and when it comes to paying a quarterback, because you know that's always the big debate: should you pay your quarterback? How much should you pay him? I think when you when you're when you're trying to pay a guy, I've kind of come to this conclusion: you should pay a guy when you think and pay like a big money deal, you know, a hundred million dollar type thing, you should pay a guy. If you believe you can, he can be the guy to get you to and win a super bowl. Like that should be the, the way you look at it. Can this guy be the quarterback of our team when we get that, get us to and help us win the super bowl. And I think if your answer is yes, you should pay the guy. And I think that if you, if you have to put a caveat on it, something like, yeah, I think he can help us get to the Super Bowl and win the Super Bowl, but at this price point. Mm. See, I, I think that you get into a dicey space there. And I was thinking about that with like a Daniel Jones or Derek Carr or even a Geno Smith, right? Because you get a lot of people, Chris, I'm sure you've seen this. You work on the radio, Twitter, you know, even people comment on uh, us, our discussions on it. It's like, oh, Geno, I'll take Geno for X amount. But if he wants Y, then he's out of here. And it's just I, I feel like that's the wrong way to look at it. Like if you if you because especially when quarterback deals, you look at a deal like Mahomes' deal. Mahomes' deals were like 10 years or something like that. Um, and some other quarterback deals have been pretty long. Josh Allen, um, I think his deal is pretty long, too. You know, uh, Kyle was under contract for quite a while. If Joe Burrow gets a four year deal this offseason, he'll be under contract for like six more years, you know, or he'll be under team control for like six more years, you know, things like that. Five or six. And I bring up the length because you you pay a guy, you gotta as we've talked about, Chris. You can draft around him. You have to. You're well, not that's gonna, the purpose of it. <laughs> yeah, you're not gonna pay a guy, and then uh, pay not a bunch. Of, yeah, you're, you're gonna you're gonna build through the draft. Whether your quarterback makes 
whether your quarterback right now is Jalen Hurts making nothing, you still have to draft well. Look how the Eagles are constructed. Even look how the Chiefs are constructed. I thought the Super Bowl was very telling in that regard. The Chiefs have a quarterback who makes a lot of money. And you look at the 10 best players on the Chiefs, where do they all come from? They came from trades and they came from drafting, by and large. You get like a – they had like a free agent or two here and they're like their, their left guard, Tooney, I think is like an example. For the most part, though, they are they are drafted and they're traded for. You look at the Eagles, they have a quarterback making nothing. You look at their you look at their ten best players. They are drafted and they are traded for largely. It's very rare that they that like they have a ton of players built through free agency. I think Hassan Reddick is probably their best guy that they got in free agency. And you can take like the top four teams every year. I feel like and do that. Go look at their ten best guys. No matter what the quarterback makes. I can almost guarantee you that the best players on their team are acquired by draft or trade, not just free agency signing. Um, and that's where I've kind of concluded that if the best way to, to, to acquire talent and build a championship roster is to draft and trade, paying your, paying your quarterback is fine. Like right? it's paying the wrong quarterback where things get in, things get in trouble. I don't think Gino's the wrong guy, so to speak. I don't think he'd be the wrong guy at 25 million a year or 35 million a year or 40 million a year. Because if he's the guy, he's the guy. And your team's going to have the room to build around him because the room to build is in the draft. The room to build is the trades. The room to build is not that extra 15 million so you could go spend on so and so. The Seahawks were never going to do that. The Cowboys are never going to do that. The Pittsburgh Steelers are never going to do that. The Packers are never going to do that. They're never going to be the team. The Bengals, for the most part, um, they have they've made some exceptions the last couple of years. But generally speaking, you hardly see teams like buy a championship roster. So I feel like if you're not going to buy one, then yeah, pay your quarterback if you think he's the guy to get you to a Super Bowl. If you think he can only get you to the Super Bowl if he's at a bargain, I'm gonna whisper into the microphone. Then he's probably not the right guy. That wasn't a great whisper, but you get what I'm saying. Does that make sense? It's my first time saying all that out loud. It does. It did. It is. It does. But then I would, I would question Mike. That standpoint of he is not your guy, but the options that are available are also limited, right? Because you can look in the draft and say, that's for sure a starter. But how good of a starter is he? Well, we don't know. We're going to take the risk and hope that he can bring us ten wins. And in Gino, Gino's case. The Seahawks have a certain amount of money, right? I think before they made the deal, if we weren't mistaken, we talked about it last episode. They were what twenty-seven million? About twenty, about twenty-three million. Oh, twenty-three. Okay. The, you know, deal. Yeah. So let's say they wanted to get another. Maybe they, let's say they had an idea of going after Derek Carr, letting Gino walk. Is Derek Carr better than Gino? I think we can both argue. Sure, we would take Derek Carr over Gino Smith. The price point that changes things because Derek Carr is going to be worth a lot more because he's been doing Derek Carr consistently, meaning he's been playing, throwing 25 touchdowns, 20 touchdowns a year, as opposed to Geno's. This is his only year doing it this past season. So right. whose longevity would you trust more? And in that scenario, I would say when it comes to money, okay, I'm willing to pay Derek Carr, which, okay, we both agreed that Derek Carr might be a little better than Geno. It's not a mountain it's not a huge gap, but there is a gap between Gino and Derek. And I guess my point is within your answer of, okay, you're going to whisper and say that, you know, the difference isn't that much when it comes to paying these guys and the fact that 
if you're going to pay Derek Carr, is he really going to be the difference to a Super Bowl over Geno Smith? Am I making sense there? I think that's kind of where I would draw the line is like, I think Derek Carr does make it a little different. I don't know how much, maybe one win. So is Derek Carr, he's going to, he signed a deal four years. What was it? 150 or something? Yeah. 150. Yeah. Is he 50 million? Not 50. I guess $48 million, $47 million better than Geno. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't think so. And even then Geno was better last year. I think the, I think the, the, the tricky part teams get into, or I don't even know if it's just teams. It's, it's, I think it's mostly like fans and media discourse is like the idea. The idea that I guess I'm pushing back on mostly is that like a guy is good, at like, oh, Mike, Chris, if Gino wants 40, fuck him. But if he wants 25, he's our guy. And in, in my mind, I'm just like, yo, if you think he's the guy, he's the guy. Like the Seahawks. I see what are, you're saying. Okay. Because the Seahawks are not about that extra 15 per year, which is, is, is weird anyway, just because that's not how contracts work. He won't be, he won't be worth $15 million. Uh, less each year salary cap hits are, are broken up a lot different than that anyway but even then if we just look at it by average annual salary if you see mike chris at 40 million tell gino kick rocks or even 30 million is what i was getting told like oh mike chris if gino wants 30 million tell him kick rocks if he wants 25 i'm rocking um and that was a lot of the discourse locally too you can hear it on like talk radio and everything like that and for me i'm just like you know if i think he's the guy and I'm and I'm with an organization that is not going to use that extra money on going out to get whoever the hell you think. Like, how many years have we talked about this with free agents? Chris, I still I have to look this up. I'm pretty sure the biggest free agent deal that these guys have given out since like 2012 is Matt Flynn. I think it's still Matt Flynn uh, with with Chenna Nuosu coming in like second in terms of an external guy. So not just re-signing their own guy like they just did with Gino uh, or like an extension like they've done with like Russ or Bobby or whoever. Like if you think about it, that's pretty crazy. That that's that's pretty crazy. That's not a team that's just gonna use that extra money to um go get some stud in free agency. And that extra money even is not even gonna be used to retain your own guys because you can always retain your own guys um with extensions and swiping the credit card. Like if you really want to keep a guy. That's what I've learned about free agency over the years and the economics of the NFL. If you want to keep a guy, you'll you keep him. You can keep yeah. it. You can do whatever it takes. to. The Saints are in the hole, I'm pretty sure, and just no. are like $70 million at the signing. A great like, point that just happened today, obviously, with Daniel Jones. While you and me might think I wouldn't do that, the Giants believe that is their guy, which I think was your original point. Yes, yes, if yeah, that's yes. your guy, you're going to pay him whatever it takes to keep him. The right. Seahawks firmly believe that Geno Smith is their guy, so they're going to pay him accordingly, and Geno agreed to said terms. Now I understand, and it makes sense what you're saying, yes. Yeah, so I think I think Daniel Jones is a really good example that I've been thinking of with, like, I wouldn't have paid Daniel Jones anything because I don't think he's the guy. I don't think he's got 20 million. I don't think he's got 40 million. I don't think he's got 60 million. And those um, same people feel the same way about Geno, right? Yeah. They feel that Geno is not the guy at 40 million. He's not the guy at... 30 million, but at 25, okay, I can, I understand why they would do that. It's yeah, still well, probably a flawed, flawed ideology of thinking, but to our point about Daniel Jones, Mike saying, I wouldn't pay that guy anything because <laughs> well, you yeah, don't think see, he's the that, guy. See, for me, yeah, like it, for me, but it's I, either the guy or not. Yeah, like yeah. I, don't think, I don't think Daniel Jones is the guy at 5 million, right? I just no, really, yeah. Do. yeah, I don't think, I just think some guys it's not it. I think eventually the deeper you get in the playoffs, there are limitations. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate 
isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Um, are just going to be highlighted. I think Jimmy G and Jared Goff have been good examples of that. Like you can get there even um, with with like all world talent around you, but just like even when you when you get there, it's just going to be the limitations are just going to be amplified. And maybe Gino is that. I'm not sure. Um, I've only seen him play in one playoff game, so um, who knows? He he could. I'm not saying he could not be in that same boat. Very well could be. But even like I, I mentioned on the pod before, I re, I just rewatched Super Bowl 49 um, the, the, uh, the a couple weeks ago. I rewatched it. And I was like, yo, like even Russell looked very limited in that. Like they obviously, and then he throws the interception that that cost them the game. But just like watching even before that fourth quarter, I would not have came away from that game thinking like, you got to give this dude whatever Russ ended up getting. I would have probably felt, hmm, that guy's a little limited there. Uh, They needed this all world defense just to lose by four. Uh, So like I, I like for example, a young Russ could fall in that category as well. Whereas when I watch some, like for example, I watch Jalen Hurts Super Bowl. I'm like, yo, we they good, you know? Or even sometimes when I watch Herbert in the playoffs, or or just when I watch Trevor Lawrence in the playoffs, or um, give me some other guys who just like Josh Allen in the playoffs, Joe Burrow in the playoffs. Like I don't think their limitations will come back to bite the team, um, you know, as a quarterback. Where I feel like that would be the case with Daniel. I don't think it'll be the case with Gino. Um, like, for example, in their playoff game, I don't think like I've watched that game like, oof, they got to move on from seven. Seven's not it. Um, but maybe that maybe that would change the further they advance. Because I do think that's the calculus you got to do as a team. And Seahawks obviously did it. Pete Carroll spoke to it. He didn't have to speak to it because they already paid him. Um, <laughs> but like that's I know he thinks that. I know that they watched. Um, and I talked to some some people with, uh, associated with Seattle at the Combine about this too, like about Geno's second half of his season, which statistically was not as strong as the first half, something we've seen with Russell before in the past too. Um, Geno's process was still really solid. Like even some of the mistakes he made, and we talked about on the show after some of those games, like every interception is not the same or like every incompletion or every, every touchdown pass is all not the same. They're all about the process, the play call, the situation, did you make the right read? Did you do the right thing? 
like even if the result was not the same. And you'll hear Gino say that sometimes, process over results. He will he will say that quite a bit. Um, and the coaches will, will will echo that too. I think Gino's process was pretty solid throughout. The results obviously didn't always match, but the process is what can sustain. Once you let go of that ball, there's so many things that can happen. Uh, whether you're talking about weather, you're talking about batting off a guy, hitting a guy's helmet, guy drop it, you know, guy tips it and lands in somebody else's hands on defense. There's so many things um, that can happen. But if was your process when you dropped back, read the defense, and you threw the ball, was that was that solid? And for Gino, it was solid more often than not, even when the results were not there. And I, I would guarantee that that's kind of how the Seahawks saw it with getting to the Super Bowl. We'll see. I think they fix the Super Bowl. It gets the Super Bowl, Chris. They got to – it ain't about Geno as much as it's like fix your defense fast. Like looking at my fake watch over on the pod. Like fix it today. <laughs> yeah, if they if they have want to have any chance to compete, make it to the Super Bowl, it starts with revamping that defense. And I would say what's most important right now, you have your starter need, and that is high. I would say – a center, edge, and then in the medium area, you can look at guard, inside linebacker, and wide receiver. And I don't and know how to say defensive tackle, too. That's a lot of stuff. It's a lot, but there's plenty of ways to go about it. You have, for starters, free agency. You can find guy, young guys that you think can fit what you are doing in your 3-4 scheme. You have the draft. There are tons of ways that this team still can improve. Can it be done in one season? Peak Carroll would probably believe that it can be, but they have to hit on all their free agents. They have to hit on majority of their picks this season, this draft. They're going to have to make sure those things hit. And if they don't, that could be the difference between a win in the wild card or a loss in the wild card, a win in the divisional or a loss chance to go to the a win in the conference going to the super bowl those are all intangibles that come into free agency and in the draft and the good news is maybe they don't need a quarterback can they still take a quarterback i would say i'm going to use your point here mike and if you take a quarterback in the first round you probably want him to pay but then here comes the issue you also paid geno smith i don't think you're going to pay geno to sit on the bench if this if this rookie is that elite Imagine if they do take a quarterback, C.J. Stroud or something. They 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 land him, and C.J. wins the job. We and you notice that he's he won the job, and then Pete Carroll and those guys are like, "Damn, do we start C.J. or do we start Geno?" Obviously, it sounds simple. Start the better guy, but considering the fact that you just paid Geno this amount of money, are you really going to bench him, Mike? Would it be as simple just to say, "Yeah, Geno, we're going to go with the young guy. We'll pay you still, obviously, but you're not going to play." It could be that simple, but I, I don't see that the Seahawks will go and take a high quarterback, although we know that quarterbacks don't grow on trees. Shout out to, to Schneider. I don't see that scenario where they did pay Geno and they're comfortable with the com competition with the same probability of Geno getting benched in favor of a rookie that comes in and lights it up. That's where I have a, hmm, would they do that? And in that scenario, I'd say, they believe in their guy, Geno. They paid him. Could they take a quarterback in the third round? I don't know who the hell that might be. There might not. I don't even know if there's anyone. I think Hooker's the probably the highest-graded quarterback that's not elite, but he's pretty darn good, right? Yeah, Hendon Hooker, yeah, the guy uh, coming off the knee injury from Tennessee. And how long do you think he would sit on the board realistically? I, I think he would be 
gone by the second round. That's what I was thinking. So if the Seahawks wanted to flirt the whole, we'll still take a quarterback, which I get it. You still, because Pete Carroll, he's only got, what, four years left on his deal? Ooh, that's not one I had in my notes. Something like that. 2025, I think he's under contract through. Let's go with that. Two years left, three years. Math is sucking here. Two to three years left. Three more seasons, I believe. Three more seasons. So three more seasons left. We talked about the Super Bowl window. Cool. You signed Gino. So is the Super Bowl window now until Pete's gone? Or is it now in these next two seasons? Mike, you hinted at you're going to look at this year and next year. Although you have said multiple times that this year is the window. So why would you now take a quarterback when you know this is your window, right? You can get a free agent quarterback. There's a hunt. You guys dropped the athletic had a 2023 NFL free agency rankings. You can go in there and probably find you a backup that if you need something, he can come in and fill in, hopefully, right? Outside of that, though, the defense is something that needs to be restructured. You need some depth there. You still need an offensive lineman, a center. The guard spot is you re-sign Phil Haynes. Okay, a talented young guy, but I still think you would need a veteran. You still, there are a bunch of pieces of this puzzle that if you want to win in 2024 for the Super Bowl, now is the time to do it. You don't really have room to, we're going to develop a guy for one year, but we also signed Geno. And I guess maybe that's what they're thinking. Maybe they will take a quarterback in the first round. But ultimately, if I was to do this, I would say, if we're going to go all in, we got to get a Jalen Carter. We got to get the best defensive guy on, the, on our board. Quarterback can wait. Again, you can go to the free agent tracker and try to find a, a quarterback to come in. I think Drew Locke's probably gone. Would he be willing to sit back and be a bench player, be a backup again? I don't think so. I think Drew wants to start in this league, and I think the Seahawks thought he could start. Unfortunately, he didn't play so well during the preseason, got COVID, and Geno was handed the keys and never looked back. I say all that to say, yes, the Seahawks can draft the quarterback, but I don't know if that's in the best interest for what they want to do. Pete was on radio today, earlier today, saying, can they win the Super Bowl with Geno? His answer was absolutely. Heck yeah. Well, if that's the case, then you should be building around Geno, building a better team, building a better defense, building that offensive line, maybe going out and getting a wide receiver. Although, Derek Young, he showed some promise. Maybe there's another guy in the draft that you can go out and get that changes the game, the dynamic for you as a third wide receiver in the slot. So it's... It's tricky. I'm not 100% sure what they will do, but based on the fact that they re-signed Geno, I do think now is a time to build around Geno and try to catch the Niners, if not past them. I think this is one of those situations where when we say they or the Seahawks, the difference between a front office and a coaching staff needs to be uh, specified. So like you say... Let's say we say we don't know what or what's in their best interest. It depends on who's from what lens. Front offices are kind of naturally thinking forward. This is kind of naturally the nature of the business, right? Whereas coaches are usually in like a win currently thing. Sometimes that aligns. Like Pete and John are usually pretty aligned um, on that. But like playing young guys versus playing veterans who know, know stuff, you, you will see some tug of wars there with some, some front offices. And you, you could probably front offices and coaching staffs. And you can even sense – you guys can probably fill in the blanks of when you've probably seen that here. The Seahawks have had some guys hit their third contract. 
right? Like, well, if you're the front office and you're the scouts and you're like scouting guys to play, you want to see them play. You don't want to see a Cody Barton necessarily play, not get the chance to start till year four, right? You want to see him on the field. Right? Same thing with even like a Marquise Blair who was like pick 47 or something like that, right? And never really got that chance to be a full-time starter. You don't want to see that as a, you know, to take a guy that high. Same thing with like a Rashad Penny didn't make his first start until like year four. Now that some of that is injury stuff, but still that's pretty crazy when you think about it. Like you scout these guys and you want to play. So the front office has its interest usually. And then the coaching staff, they usually thinking like, yo, I need to put the best players on the field right now who know their shit. I don't got time to deal with these growing pains of these young guys missing blocks or assignments or whatever. Those things don't always align. Um, and so the reason I bring all that up is because Pete Carroll, as the coach of the team, that's kind of like a naturally a short-term thinking, right? Like, let's try to win right now. Let's try to win right this second because that's my best interest as the coach. I get judged on the win-loss record of the team. And so I need to make sure the win-loss record is as close to 17-0 and as humanly possible. Right? That's just, just a natural part of the job. Whereas if you the front office, that's still important, right? Front office wants to build a team that can go 17-0, but they also think down the line a little bit. They have to manage the books a little more. That matters a little bit more. Um, like even then when Pete was on the radio um, on Tuesday talking about it, I think the first question was, hey, how'd this deal get done? And then the first thing Pete did was compliment John, right? And their salary cap guy, like, you know, basically like they did that shit. <laughs> I was trying to fix our defense, <laughs> you know, <laughs> pretty much is kind of how he answered that question. So the reason to bring that all back to pick five in particular, as we talk about a quarterback, the front office, for example, might be like, yo, Pete, we not about to pick here again. So let's think long-term here for a second and take Will Levis and or take CJ Stroud, like you mentioned, or take Anthony Richardson, because down the line, this is going to be, this is going to help us be sustainable uh, as a franchise. We're just going to make a smooth transition very like Brett Favre to Aaron Rodgers y transition, very Alex Smithy to Patrick Mahomes transition as a franchise. We can just do that if we take the guy now. Um, Joe Flacco to Lamar Jackson, same thing, um, same concept at least. Let's take the guy now and we can transition. Aaron Rodgers to Jordan Love. Now that didn't work out, but the thought process is there. So, I mean, I could easily see that being the the thought, the long-term vision from the front office versus maybe the short-term or more short-term vision from the coaching staff. Because those 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 motive agendas don't always align. Now, again, in Seattle, they're usually pretty aligned. But in other areas, you see that. Maybe the owner wants you to take this quarterback, uh, but the coaching staff is like, nah, he's not ready, or the GM likes a guy, but the coaching staff is not sold on him, or vice versa. There's so much that goes on when it comes to, to drafting behind the scenes, particularly with high picks, because um, there's more pressure to play. It's a six-round pick. Take a linebacker. You take a running back. Who gives a shit? He's going to be on special teams anyway. You take a quarterback and pick nine. It's like, well, how soon are we playing this guy? Right? Like, how long are we willing willing to wait? And as the Packers are showing us, even if it's pick 26, I think Jordan Love was, that can just get dicey, which it did um, in Green Bay very fast. Um, they got a few FU seasons from Aaron Rodgers. But I do think that's – I don't really have a good answer for how those two things mesh. Uh, Pete Carroll did say on Tuesday that them taking a quarterback early would be a for the long haul, quote-unquote long haul move. Um, so he's kind of acknowledging that. It would not help them in the short term, like you're saying, Chris. Taking Will Levis does not help the 2023 Seahawks. I don't – I really – taking Anthony Richardson, I do not think helped the 2023 Seahawks. 
It might help the 2024, 2025, 2026 Seahawks, but how much does the 2023 coaching staff give a shit about that? You know, that's yeah, a very dynamic. Yeah. That's that was a good point you brought up, but this with how the people in the office are viewing things and Pete, because obviously Pete's in win now mode no matter what. But to your point that you brought up, well, hey Pete, you might not be here by then, bro. So you're really just bringing in the new generation of Seahawks, which is also fair. But then from a fan's perspective, and maybe this is something you could tweet out, fans like, how are you guys feeling? Would you guys be willing to just take a CJ Stroud or the best available on the board and wait out 2023? See how Gino does. 2025, 2026, that's the year you're going for a Super Bowl? I'm curious now because obviously fans are a huge part of, well, actually not a part of anything. If they want to do it this way, they're going to do it this way regardless of what y'all think. So I'd be interested to see what people and listeners and fans of the Seahawks are thinking in that regard of, damn, do I really want to, I'm, I'm cool with rolling Gino or draft the best quarterback available, let them duke it out. And obviously let's say they get back to nine wins is that a successful season or do they want more? The fans, that is, do they want more from the Seahawks? They want a Super Bowl this season going into 2024. So I think that's going to be quite interesting. And just to throw out some backup quarterbacks, if they don't draft one, if you want to look at the free agency list of quarterbacks that are available, Taylor Heineke, 30 years old. I think he's someone that could be a solid backup for Geno. Probably get him for a, a nice little deal. Wouldn't be too expensive. Our favorite. We're both Cougs, so Mike probably knows where I'm going with this. He probably is going to gonna cost a pretty penny, but that's Gardner Minshew. I think if Gino went down, Gardner could definitely come in and just keep the boat steady. So those are two guys that if the Seahawks are thinking we're not going to draft a quarterback, we'll find one in free agency, those are two guys that I think you can land. It's, it might cost more for Gardner because his performance was pretty good, and he's been a backup for what? Since he's gotten the league. And he's been right. pretty good. He's been a starter a little bit here and there. Spot, but his starter. main role is backup. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. yeah. So with that being said, he's done that really well. And bringing him back to Pacific Northwest, I wouldn't be mad at it, and I would be comfortable if something were to happen to Gino. He come, he comes in and keeps the boat riding. And that's that's just some guys. I'm sure you probably have some players that you could think of at quarterback that could come in and potentially not just save the day, but keep this team where they need to be in a hunt for a Super Bowl if they, in fact, do not draft a quarterback. I think they think even if they draft a quarterback, like in the, let's say, the late rounds, so you take like Jake Hayner or something like that, kid from uh, Fresno State, like in the sixth round or something like that, you still need a veteran. I think the more I've learned, not I think I know, just because the more I've learned about like how, how the quarterbacks get prepared each week, you need a, you need a veteran guy. Um, I, it's ideal to have like a like Sean Mannion they had, because when you're on the scout team, the scout team does so much in terms of pre preparing your first team defense for the for that week. And having a veteran who can just each week be a chameleon, basically like, OK, this week we're playing the Rams. So we need you to uh, sample all of these uh, Sean McVay passing concepts and all of their language that we know of and like get our first team defense ready. Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, go. You don't have much time to learn. All right. The next week. We are playing, here, give me someone from a different tree. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? 
Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Uh, we are playing... Give me another team. Uh, the Saints. All right, we're playing the Saints, right? So you're going to be... Now we need you to be Derek Carr. We need you to run all of the Saints concepts that we know. It's a different scheme, so we need you to pick up all that real quick and learn it. And it's just a lot easier when you have a veteran who's like, oh, okay, yeah, I used to coach, I used to play here, and we kind of ran that here. Okay, we ran something like that. All right, I kind of know that. Oh, I used to work with this person at this stop, so I kind of know this concept because of because of this. That's where Gino is really valuable for Russell, um, is because Gino had been with the Giants, he'd been with the Jets, he'd been with the Chargers. Um, so when if it was time to play such and such team that week, he was like, oh, yeah, I remember this. I've played against this defensive coordinator before. I know how this is going to work. I know how this co- passing concept works, not only to get the first team defense ready, but also to help Russell uh, as they made the game plan. This a rookie just can't do that. He doesn't have the he doesn't have the database of experience. Even if you're trying to develop him, um, he just doesn't have that. Which is why I do. I think people just like overvalue somebody sitting behind someone else for a year. You don't learn that much. I mean, you learn a lot, but you don't learn. What as much as you guys think when you're sitting, like if you like if you draft Anthony Richardson for example to sit behind Gino and he's your quarterback too, Anthony Richardson is going to spend a lot of time learning scout team shit each week. He'll get no live reps, and each week he'll be he'll be pre- uh, pretending to be Jalen Hurts. Then the next week he'll pretend to be Kirk Cousins, and the next week he'll pretend to be whoever the hell the Seahawks are playing, and he'll learn like little tidbits of other schemes while learning his own. He just there's throw a lot of information at him. And he won't develop as much as you guys would would think. Like he still learns. He can watch his how he can watch how Geno prepares himself. Watch how Geno takes care of his body. Listen to how Geno Smith commands a huddle. Like there are intangibles. I don't say you pick up zero skills, but you you nothing prepares you for playing football like playing football. And I fact checked my own self. I looked up how much it would cost Gardner Minshew, and it wouldn't be much at all. He was making two point five with the Eagles last season. The Seahawks will probably get him at around that again, if not less, to be honest with you. So it wouldn't even be expensive going after someone in Gardner Minshew. And then what, Taylor Heineke? Okay, he made 1.5. Honestly, yeah. If the Seahawks were, and these are, I would say, some solid veterans that can come in that know the game, you probably still want to get maybe someone a little more seasoned. But I think one of the, or one of one of these guys I think could definitely fill the role if they wanted to, if they were cool with coming to Seattle as a backup in my opinion, and the money wouldn't be much at all. I was wrong. <laughs> yeah, well, I think the money. Yeah, they wouldn't be tripping about the money on a backup guy. Also, there's not a lot of competition for some of these backup guys. That's why you see a lot of older guys getting signed. Though guys who are like 37, 36, because it just helps with the preparation. When you're the backup, you're 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 preparation guy. You're not groom you to be the next best thing guy necessarily. Um, unless they've spent a high draft pick on you. But even then, like I said, you do, if you're QB2, you spend a lot of time as the scout team dude. You'll see some teams take a guy high, and not only will he not start as the QB, QB1, sometimes he won't even be QB2 because they want a veteran guy um, to, to do all that stuff to get all the scout team reps. And they don't have that much money left. You know, before we recorded, I was, um, I was looking up, trying to figure out what Geno's cap hit would be. And I just can't get a good feel for it. I need to see his signing bonus, whatever that was. Um, but if he's getting, according to my girl, follow $28 million in year one, then this cap, that cap, well, if you, yeah, it's tough. He got $40 million guaranteed, I think was the number. So his cap, it could be anywhere from like $10 million to like $17, 18 19 Like that's a big, big window, uh, which is still pretty low. 
I think that would all be right around where like Quandre's I think is and where Jamal's is um, after their extension. So that that's those are some decent numbers, uh, I think. But it still doesn't give them much room to do much else. Like I still think they're going to have to make a decision on Shelby Harris trading or cutting him would be eight point nine million that you save. Um, you could extend him as well if you want. Uh, same thing with Gabe Jackson. I think that's six point five million uh, that you save, whether a trade or a cut. Again, you can extend him as well. Um, Chenna, ext- I'd probably extend Chenna. I think you save like five million if you can extend Chenna. Uh, same thing with Noah Williams, or excuse me, well, not Noah Williams, Noah Fant. Uh, I think like four point six mil you can save there. Um, so the the and I don't know what their incentives mean. Like I, me and Chris are going over what it likely to be earned incentives mean versus not likely to be earned. And boy, dog, the, the CBA is the most convoluted shit. Like I was reading that this morning, like eight o'clock. And I was just like, yo, what is like, I, so I know the difference between likely to be earned and not likely to be earned, right? Like if it's, if it's likely to be earned, if it got hit the year before, that's for Gino, if, then 20, they have this year, hey, Gino, part of your incentives is like $2 bucks if you make the Pro Bowl. All right, well, that's that's likely to be earned because he just made the Pro Bowl the previous season. So those are, those are how those work. And those things hit the cap differently. I think it hits – in the CBA, it says like it hits the team salary. Um, it hits it right away. It'll count against it if you, if you hit it the year before. So if they say, hey, Gino, you get a million dollars if you play 90% of our snaps – we played a hundred of the saps last year, hundred percent. So it, it's already there. That's likely to be earned. So that would be different than a not likely to be earned incentive, like an all pro team winning MVP, uh, winning a playoff game, which did not happen last year. So things like that. So when you see that 30 million in incentives number, that's why it's hard for me to calculate the signing bonus a little bit. Cause I'm like, okay, well, or excuse me, it's hard to calculate the cap hit. I'm like, well, okay which incentives are likely to be earned, which ones are not. It's a mess. I wish it was more like NBA contracts for the most part, which is just like, all right, here's the max. There's the oh. cap hits make. Yeah, the, the cap hits make way more sense. You go look at a, you can go to like spot track, spot track, however you say it, and look up just a random player's salary cap. Go look up Anthony Davis to the Lakers. Go look up his versus Derek Carr's deal. You're like, what the hell? Like, this is way more complicated than it needs to be. I think those guys have similar like per year salaries. I think like it's, it's very complicated. That said though, I think the other, other thing people are doing, Chris is applauding the Seahawks for the getting him at getting Gino at a bargain here, getting him at a base salary base value of three years, 25 million a year. And at max is 35 million a year. And I think, well, I think that's good for the Seahawks. Um, That's like a, a decent deal. Like it's, it's better than the, the Daniel Jones deal, which I think is terrible. Um, it feels very Carson Wincy. Um, I think the reason that, I, that we didn't, we're only, you know, we're, we're however many minutes into the show. We're just now bringing that up. Cause I think the win is getting Gino just at, at any price, at any price point, any like quote unquote reasonable price point, obviously it wasn't going to be $55 million a year or whatever, but like, I think just re-signing Gino, for the 2023 season and having, and if he balls out having him for 2024 as well, like, I think that's the win. Like if it was 35 million, that's a win. If it was 40 million, that's a win. Right. Like I, I think there's a misconception about like the, what's the middle tier of quarterback. Nah, man. Like if you throw out rookie deals, when you're looking at quarterback salaries, a competent quarterback makes 40 million a year. 
that's that's like the going rate for like a competent quarterback and then like a, an above average guy makes like 35 or whatever. So like, yeah, Gino just made the Pro Bowl as an original ballot guy, meaning he didn't get in because like 10 people said no, like Tyler Huntley. Like, sorry, sorry, Snoop, but that was ridiculous. You know, like Gino was original ballot. And if that's the case, the going rate for that type of shit is like $40 million, yeah. if not more. You know, if Daniel Jones is getting that, then the going rate's even higher because Daniel didn't make it last year, I don't believe. So I think the win for me is just getting getting him back. If if uh, if you believe he's the guy, I, uh, I th- and I think he is, and uh, I don't know, Chris, did you do you think he's that dude? I don't know if we. I think I'm that. I'm not willing to say that yet because everything's going to change this year because this will be everyone that played against him a full year of tape on Gino. Now we get to see how G- how good he can be because last season no one knew how good he was. Right. Me and you were watching training camp like, oh, yeah, this might get real bad. And he, yeah. he comes out and plays really well. Those over 69 percentage completion rating, that is, to receivers. And now everyone has film on him. So you would hope that Gino gets better. But I'm, I'm not I don't know if he's the guy. I'm going to sit back and watch and see how he improves, how he handles late game scenarios. Because, again, everyone has film on him now. It's different going week by week. And going a whole season and seeing tendencies where he struggles, where he's yep. really good at. Teams are going to take that. The Niners are going to take that. The Rams, the Cardinals, they're all going to have the opportunity to watch a full year of Geno and then come back, come back and hopefully have answers. And then Geno also has a full year to see him what defenses do against him. Yeah. So yeah. it's 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 a opportunity to just to see how good Geno is. And I'm I just don't have an answer for you. Like I would love to be like, yep. He's the guy, but now I think we'll be able to tell based on this season because everyone has seen it, Geno has seen it, and I can give you a better diagnostic prognostic on Geno Smith as this season goes on into the next year. So right now, I'll be honest, I don't know if he's the guy, but I'm not mad at what the Seahawks did because of what he proved just coming in last season. He came in, proved me wrong. I didn't think he would play as well as he did, although I did have the Seahawks winning eight games. Just neither here nor there. Didn't know how much Gino would play a role into that, but he played a vital role in the Seahawks finished nine and eight and got into the postseason. Yeah, I think for me, I really think, dang, I'm about to sound like a film nerd, but like I do think like when you watch watching the games just feels so different to me. Like, like when you look at the difference between like Jared Goff and Matt Stafford, I think that was a, such a great example of just how the offense can look different. Now, I'm not a huge Matt Stafford guy, nor am I a very uh, Jared Goff guy, but like the way the offense looked was different. Now, some of the numbers might might match up, but, like, just you look at it. You look at how when they had Jared Goff, they basically had a training wheels offense. It was like first read, hit it. Yards after catch, um, under center, under center, dress up everything to look the same, heavy play action, stay in one personnel grouping, usually 11 personnel. Like, it was very, like, he, they were holding his hand in L.A., and it worked. It got to the Super Bowl like that. Like, it, I say it can't work. Um, they also scored no points damn near in that Super Bowl. But the, the the point is you could see how the offense looked and you could see the hand-holding that McVay was doing. So when McVay was like, I got to get this guy out of here, I understood. And he got Stafford. I don't think Stafford's that much better than Goff. But I do think you can run a totally different offense. Uh, and you could see it. Like, they ditched that whole hand-holding thing. They was like, okay, wait, we can just get in shotgun five wide and let bro cook, you know, which is basically what they were doing. And it helps to have Cooper Cup. 
Uh, but like that, you the offense looks so it was like a big boy offense. As Jordan Rodriguez, one of our favorite guests on the Seahawks Man to Man podcast, as she would like to put it, like they just unlocked all five op, all five reads in the progression. Like you could you could unlock that with Matt in a way that they just weren't with Jared. So even if the numbers were not just worlds better, you could just unlock more. And that's that's kind of how I see it with Gino versus some of these other guys. Like the reason why I, I, I'm a little bit more confident in what Gino was doing versus like what Jared Goff is doing in Detroit. Jared, who had good numbers this year, what Daniel Jones did in New York. Um, and I think Derek Carr falls in a little bit of that lane with Gino, too. Like, I just think you don't need to hold their hands with your offense. I just think you can just push comes to shove. You can just let Gino go. You can put him in the shotgun. Hey, man, we are down 10 or whatever. Or we just need a big drive right here. You're down. Go. You shotgun. Gino's really good out of empty, which is like you know the defense. You, the defense knows you're about to throw, and you can still throw it. I think that's like a that's usually a sign of a big boy offense. I think it was like the Giants game in particular. Um, they, they I think the Giants tied it, and Gino went down and like five plays, seventy five yards, all throws. I think all out of shotgun with that big throw to Tyler Lockett um, down the sideline for a touchdown. And I think one of those Cardinals drives in Arizona was like that too. And it's just like it's just a it's just a great example of big boy offense. Uh, like that's my my best way of putting it. So for me, that's why I lean towards. It's not just because of the numbers, or um, it's how it looked and how they got to those numbers. Because th- there's different ways to go about it. And I even think that like Jalen Hurts in the Super Bowl was another good example. Like they was able to do Jalen was able to do whatever the fuck he wanted to score (laughs) (laughs) on the chiefs in that game. Like he fumbled, like trying to switch hands, but I firmly believe they got the ball back. They was going to go down and score because Jalen was just hooping. Um, And you see the Mahomes is like that too. Like you don't, uh, Joe Burrow is like that as well. Like he gets an empty and just starts operating and checking sliding protections and hitting hot routes and stuff like that. So, whereas other guys can do that, but like, I do think it's different, different levels with like a Baker or, Baker Mayfield or what you saw the Panthers running with with Sam Darnold uh, later in the year when they they had a good offense. Same thing, yeah. You know, like I said, with Jared Goff, Daniel Jones. I feel like you just gotta hold their hand a little bit more. And I'm not paying you forty million to hold your hand. If I gotta hold your hand, I'm gonna get I'm gonna get a, I'm gonna get some wag running this big boy, this big boy offense with, particularly on a veteran uh, contract. I think if you want to hold a guy's hand on a rookie deal, it's kind of kind of whatever you know. Do it, do what you need to. So that's why I think he's a guy. Which is why I think if that's your guy. Like the Seahawks clearly agree with that sentiment. Just getting him is the win. Like, even if they needed to give him 50 million or whatever, they wouldn't have done that. But like, if you got your guy, you got your guy. You know, the um Josh Allen, same thing. You can run whatever the hell you want with Josh. I think he's the guy. They haven't got to the Super Bowl yet, but like I don't think it's because Josh isn't the guy. You know, so not every team who falls short is because their quarterback isn't the guy or he makes too much money. Uh, either sometimes your team just isn't built well around it, you know, or you don't have pass rush, or someone gets hurt, you know. The Bills were down like the fourth string safety in the the game they lost this year in the playoffs. So anyway, I'm rambling a little bit, but I'm trying to make this case for I'm trying to get people to look at this a little differently than just the Seahawks won because they got Geno at a bargain. The economics of the NFL do matter, but if you just talk about like if your goal is to win now, your quarterback contracts don't hamstring you the way people think, um, and if you got your guy, that's important. Your goal is to win games like, yeah, you want to win games with everyone making like a bargain or whatever. But that's just unrealistic. Somebody on your team is going to be making a shit ton of money. if you win yeah, Someone's going to be getting paid. I guarantee it. And it'll be likely be several people making a lot of money if you win the Super Bowl. It just imagine it's just a matter of where that money is being allocated. But at the end of the day, your salary cap isn't showing up on the screen when you hold up the trophy. 
You're holding up the trophy. That's what I've, I've kind of, as much of a football nerd I am, I've kind of leaned towards like, yo, I just need to get the best players on the field. Obviously, the economics matter, but like, get them on the field. The Rams sold their soul and swiped the hell out of that credit card to get to the Super Bowl. They got it. Now the credit card bills do. But you know what? The people who own the Rams are probably doing like, fine, pay it. I'm going to sit here and pay it direct, while I'm looking at the Lombardi trophy in my office. You know, that's the that's the goal. Now, um, we still got to talk process a little bit in that. But that's kind of where I'm leaning as like a roster construction thing. The Seahawks got the guy. They think they can get them to where they want to be. That's the that's the win. Maybe the Giants think that, too. I think they're drunk, but maybe they think that, too. <laughs> that that's that's how I think we gotta gotta look at it because you can always swipe stuff to the credit card if you need to. If like a guy pops up and it's like, whoa, we need to extend this guy. Actually, we gotta keep him. He's a baller. Swipe Get the credit done. card in and keep him. Do what the Saints have been doing. The Saints have told their fan base, we will swipe the hell out of this American Express as long as it keeps us competitive, right? And we'll deal with it later. You know what? You can always do that. That's a that's a realistic thing as long as you have your owner's blessing. So I think that that's the Seahawks won because they kept their guy. You know, that that's that's the moral of that story for me. Well said. I'm going to see what they do, what Gino, what Gino does this next season. It'll be fun. Another exciting season. we got the draft coming up. We have so much in store for you guys. Hopefully we can get Ballor back on. We, we you know, again, yeah, the yeah. Russell Wilson killed it. And then it's been it's been a challenge. And our, our home is across the pond. They've had him on twice. They're bragging. We'll get you on eventually, Nick Ballor. <laughs> Yeah, we will. We will. We'll make it happen. Is there anything else you want to add, Mike, before we get out of here? Uh, just appreciate the love um, from from you guys all off season. Sorry, I sounded like Doc Rivers uh, last pod. I was not feeling great. It's uh, Blake's fault. Yeah, no, nah, it was bad. It was it was it was bad. I, I, the information provided was good. Oh, shout out to everybody listening to the my appearance on the Athletic Football Show too. We've been getting a lot of feedback um, on that. Also, sounded like Doc Rivers on there too. But the information was. Uh, was solid so yeah we'll, we'll be back um in the very near future talking draft probably not as much for agency but definitely definitely draft because it's still with chris what they could do with pick five is so, there's so many different directions and then you got jalen carter's arrest um and charges he's facing that that may slide him down and it's like that goes into the whole character concern thing so they can still take a quarterback they can take best available there's so there's so much just with their first pick that we could dive into that's so that's great i can't wait to get people who know more about the draft than we do on the show um <laughs> talk about so, uh, until then thank you guys for tuning in yes uh, we'll catch you guys next time on the seahawks man to man podcast and we out From a time to your bag and a color on your lip, yeah, you This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.